0: Think of when you hear the word impossible or impossibility. Usually words conjure up some things in our minds. And so perhaps when I use those words impossible or impossibility, you begin thinking of Something that you would say, oh, well, that's impossible. That's an impossibility. The dictionary defines impossibility very simply as incapable of being or occurring. So when you use the word impossible, that can't be or that can't happen is the idea, right? And so maybe for you, you think of, Maybe you think of some sci-fi film you've seen in the past, you know, the Twilight Zone kind of thing, and you think, oh, that's impossible. Or maybe it's uh, a fictional plot in a story you've heard, and even when you looked at it, of course it's fictional, but you know, some things that are fictional are presented as, well, this could be, or this could happen, but that story that you read or heard was fictional and you were like, oh that's impossible it could never happen. Or maybe it's a an out there concept that you've heard before. Um, my, my children after we put them to bed we often turn on a patch the pirate story. And I don't know which one it's called but there's a patch the pirate story that deals with Origins, And so they talk about creation and they talk about evolution. And, you know, in the story at least, evolution is presented as this really out there idea that is just so crazy to, to be believable. You know, though, that there are those who, who will actually hold to a concept of evolution who would think that creation is crazy. And so maybe for you, something that's so far out there, it's just impossible. If I were to stand here and tell you today that, you know, I, I am a really, really faithful and consistent exerciser. I work out all the time. Not... But if I were to tell you that, and then I were to follow that up with, would you believe that I can lay down on a workout bench and I can bench press? You know what a bench press is, right? I can bench press 150 pounds. You, Mrs. Spate. <laughs> you might think, well, Maybe. I mean, pastor's arms aren't that big, but, you know, maybe he can do that. Linda doesn't think so. But if I were to tell you, I can get on a workout bench and I can bench press a thousand pounds, you'd probably think or say a couple of things. You're nuts. You're a liar. Or you might say, That's impossible. Nobody can bench press that. I don't know if that's true or not, but I would wager that most people, if anybody, could, could bench press a thousand pounds. That's impossible. Nobody could do that. We understand what impossible or impossibility is. What about your own life? What seems impossible to you? I'm not talking about bench pressing a thousand pounds or that concept that seems out there. I'm talking about for you personally in a very personal way. What seems impossible to you? Maybe it's a broken or a breaking relationship that it could ever be restored. That seems impossible to you. Maybe it's that you and or your family could ever be financially stable. Maybe that seems impossible. Maybe that you would ever be more than what you believe yourself to be right now. I don't know about you, but I know for myself there are times that I feel incredibly low about myself. Maybe you're there right now and it seems impossible that you would ever believe more of yourself in in a good way, in a positive way than, than what you feel right now. Maybe it seems impossible to you that you could ever make an investment that would yield a true everlasting return you pour into someone or you pour into ministry and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It doesn't seem to be accomplishing anything. You're investing, but what you're seeing is little to no result. And it seems impossible to you that you could ever invest in such a way that it would make a true, eternal return. Or maybe... It's simply that you could ever be used by God in a meaningful way. Maybe that seems impossible to you. What happens when we think that something is impossible? Think about it. If you look at something that you could try, let's use my crazy out there example. If I thought it'd be nice to bench press a thousand pounds, followed by, well, that's impossible, that can't happen, then what will happen? Nothing. Isn't it true that when you think something is impossible, usually nothing happens? When you believe that something is impossible, you will not do anything to attempt it or reach for it. You'll give up, you'll move on, not even attempt it. One writer, not, not a, a Christian writer by any means, a secular writer, but I believe made a good statement here, said, If you think that something is impossible, you'll never achieve it. And your dreams won't come true. So if you want to stay where you are. If you're satisfied with the status quo of your life in ministry. Then go on thinking the way it is. Is the way it is. I, I was. I was here yesterday afternoon for a while and. On my way home, I I was driving through an intersection and a car was coming the opposite direction and in big letters across the windshield of the car on the bottom edge of it was one of those window stickers and it said, it is what it is. You've heard someone say that, right? If you're satisfied and happy with things as they are, just go on that way it is what it is and this is the way it has been and the way it will be and if that is your attitude and approach to life to ministry to family to that relationship to your financial situation to whatever it is then friends you're not going to do anything and it's going to stay that way right when you think something is impossible usually nothing happens If, on the other hand, you want to move on from where you are, if you are not happy with the status quo of your life in ministry, if you want to see the impossible become possible, then I have something to share with you today. God makes the impossible possible. Do you believe that? God makes the impossible possible. Do you remember early in the story of the New Testament, the angel had appeared to Zacharias to tell him that he and his his wife Elizabeth they were both older they were going to have a son which for a believing Jew shouldn't be a crazy thought because after all Abraham was a hundred and Sarah was 90 when they had Isaac the Bible says that Zacharias and Elizabeth were very old but I can't imagine they were a hundred and ninety years old and yet he struggled to believe that even though God's done this before He can do it for you. But then, I'll tell you what's even more out there. The angel shows up later in Luke chapter 1 to a young lady, a young girl perhaps even, named Mary, and tells her, you're going to conceive a son. Why is that so far out there? Mary had had and would have no sexual interaction with anyone. No activity like that whatsoever. And when Mary asked, How is this going to be? Do you remember what the angel responded? He told her, By the way it would happen, it would happen because the Holy Ghost would overshadow her, that that God would miraculously cause that conception to take place in her womb. But then in Luke one thirty seven, the angel declared this, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Anything that God wants to do, he'll do. Anything that God gets involved in can happen. It can change drastically. So while you and I like to sit back and go, well, it's not possible. That can't happen. And when we believe that, Nothing happens. The reality is, with God, the impossible is possible. An angel speaks to a woman who's never had sexual relation of any kind. And I would say, wouldn't you, that to cause a virgin to become pregnant without any male involvement or any medical or scientific intervention of any kind, that seems pretty impossible. But it happened. Do you believe it did? Maybe you're here and you'd say, I don't know if it really happened. Well, then we might need to talk. It happened. And we say we believe it. So if we believe God can make something possible like that possible, then we need to apply that to our lives and our situations, right? Right? Impossible is what God does. It's what he's always done. A well-known 20th century author put it this way, If Mary had the courage to take the impossible into her body... Can we not have the courage to take it into our hearts? And what the author was implying is this. In other words, we see the example of God doing the impossible in Mary, and it inspires us to believe him to do the impossible in, for, or through us. But do we? The fiery preacher Billy Sunday put it simply this way. We have a God who delights in impossibilities. It's what he does. It's who he is. That he is a God who makes the impossible possible comes out in our text in Luke chapter 9 today. And that's what I want to preach. Just simply this thought. Making the impossible possible. Making the impossible possible. Look at Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 10. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about, and lodge and get victuals. For we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. They were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down by 50s in a company. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude." And they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. If you remember, we saw last Sunday that Jesus called his twelve disciples to himself. If you go to Matthew's Gospel, it was additional beyond those twelve, but he did so so he could give them power and authority to send them out to travel through the region preaching the kingdom of God. He gave them power and authority to cure diseases and to cast out demons. Now they've returned. Some time has passed and they've returned. And, and verse 10 tells us they told Jesus all that they had done with his power. What a testimony service that must have been. I mean, can you imagine this group of dozens of people gathering around Jesus and saying, Jesus, you gave us power and authority to preach the kingdom of God, to cast out demons, to cure diseases, and we did this, and we did that, and we did such and such. What a testimony service it must have been. As they, think about this, witnessed God... Make the impossible possible for them, in them, and through them. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, before Jesus, I doubt that Simon and James and John and Andrew ever got together and said, Hey guys, you know, we just believe God can do some great things in Israel today. Let's start going through the nation and casting out demons and curing diseases. You think they ever had that conversation? I doubt it. I mean, before Jesus, I'm sure they would have thought, they would have struggled to think that these things would happen. But yet God did these things for them, in them, and through them as Jesus gave them power and authority. And now they come back. They have this big testimony service. They're remembering everything Jesus did through them. And now Jesus makes a suggestion. He says, hey guys, let's let's go over into this desert place. Why did Jesus want to take them into a desert place? You ready for this? He wanted to take them to the desert place because it is a deserted place. That's why. He wanted to take them out there. The Bible tells us in in one of the Gospels that shares the account, I forget which one, but it, it tells us there that they were so busy with people coming and going and teaching and doing miracles that they didn't even have the leisure to sit and eat. I mean, that's busy. Have you ever been so busy with something or things that you didn't even take time or have the time to sit down and eat? I mean, that's crazy. But that was what was going on. And so Jesus said, hey guys, let's go out into the desert, a deserted place. We're going to rest for a while. I don't know about you, but there are times in life when rest is needed. And so often we think of rest as just a time to take a nap. Maybe for you it's Sunday afternoon that is your time to go home and get a little something to eat and then you just lay down and you take a nap some of you are like pastor i have no idea what what nap what is that and certainly jesus implied in this case a sense of physical rest but friends can i remind you that there is a rest that is needed for you and i that is beyond physical There are times you and I need rest that is mental, that's emotional, that is spiritual. And Jesus offers us the rest we need. It wasn't long before this that Jesus had declared in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And maybe you're here today and life has run away with you. Maybe you feel like life is a big pot of chaos. And that's what your life is right now. Maybe there are questions that are unanswered. There are circumstances that need to be resolved. And you are feeling overwhelmed with burden. Accept Jesus' invitation. Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. In Jesus, you will find the rest that you need most of all. Well, their rest was short-lived. <clears throat> if you know the account, the Bible tells us the people knew where they were. You see, they had gotten on a boat to to sail to the desert, deserted place. And the people who had already been thronging them knew where they were, and they, they had a good idea of where they were going. So while Jesus and the disciples were in the boat, and remember, they're going for a rest, so they're not... They're not rowing like this, you know, they're leisurely making their way across the lake. The Bible tells us the crowd outruns them, travels around the shoreline and gets to where they're going before they even get there. So whatever rest they had was on the boat, because as soon as they got to the desert place, it was no longer a deserted place. It was full of people. And Jesus began teaching them. Why didn't he just send them away? Why didn't Jesus look at the crowd and say, Hey, don't you know this is our vacation? We came to the desert, to a deserted place, which means you're not supposed to be here. Jesus didn't do that. Why not? Mark 6.34 tells us why. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. I appreciate, don't you, how clear the Bible is that Jesus is moved by love. I mean, this is his vacation. It's time to lay his head down and rest. It's time to, to drop the hook in the water and do some fishing or something like that and it's not going to happen. But Jesus doesn't get angry. Jesus doesn't send the crowd away. He doesn't snap his fingers and they all turn to dust. He loves them and he ministers to them. For some time, Jesus taught them. He healed them. Those who needed healing, Matthew 14 tells us that. And as the day wore on into the evening, Jesus and the disciples concerned themselves with how the people would get food, if you look at the gospel accounts, all four gospel penmen share this account. And each one, of course, writing from his own personality for a specific purpose that God, by the Holy Spirit, leads them in, Uh, Gives us a little bit of a different idea of who has this inclination who has this thought first in one gospel The disciples came to jesus and said hey, you need to send them away They need to go get food in other gospels. It's jesus is asking the disciples. Hey, hey, we need to feed these people How are we going to do it? Regardless Of who thought of it first and who asked first and who spoke first They're all concerned that they need to eat. how many are there? The Bible tells us 5,000 men. Was it only men that were there? Were there women and children besides? I, I would assume that there were. The word here does speak specifically to the male gender. So we would... Approximate that there are perhaps even several thousand more besides the 5,000 men that are there. What does that mean? It means a lot of food is needed. Pastor Ronnie, in announcing our homecoming today, said we're asking you to bring some food, and what that means is bring enough for your family, one dish, enough for your family, and maybe a couple of others to share. Well, if the 40 or so of us did that and showed up next Sunday, and then there were 20,000 people waiting for our homecoming, you and I would think a couple of things. Where are we going to put all these people? And I did not bring that much food, right? And the disciples certainly are looking at themselves and amongst themselves and wondering, where is all this food going to come from? And so they speak to Jesus and whether they lack compassion and they're tired and they just want to get rid of the crowd Or they're just thinking practically and where are we going to put these people? How are we going to feed them? They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, send them away Send them somewhere where they can go and get food for themselves And instead of doing that, Jesus puts his disciples to the test It doesn't come out so dramatically in Luke's gospel, but it does in John's account that we read earlier in the service. Do you remember? How did Jesus put the disciples to the test? This is what the Bible says in John 6, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And John gives us commentary. In this he said to prove him. The word prove means to test. He put Philip to the test. We've often heard the terminology about faith being tried or trial of faith. In a way, this was Jesus trying, testing Philip's faith. How's Philip going to respond? How are the other disciples going to respond? Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, verse number 6 of John, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. Think about what's going on here. In context, what had just happened? Now, I don't want you to miss this because I think this is crucial to a good understanding and application of the feeding of the 5,000. What had just happened in the previous verses of Luke chapter 9, the verses we studied last week, What had Jesus done? He gave the disciples something. What did he give them? Power and authority to go preach God's word, to cure diseases, and to cast out demons. Why is that so crucial to now this text? Jesus had given them power to do things that we would ordinarily say are what? Impossible. Jesus, I can't I can't do what you do. I can't reach out with my hand and touch someone and cure them of whatever disease they have. Jesus, I can't do what you do. I can't speak to a devil, to a demon and say, get out of that person. And the devil or the demon listens and gets out. And Jesus says, I am giving you the power and authority to do it. And they come back and have a massive testimony service. Jesus, thank you for that power and authority you gave us. We can can I just bring it to today? Jesus, we cured people of cancer. I saw someone who was whose body was devastated by AIDS and cured them. Jesus, I came across another. You remember that guy in Gadera? that you spoke to the demon and the demon said we're legion because we're many. Jesus, I came across a lady just like that and I said demon come out and the demon came out of her and she was whole. I mean, what a testimony service. And you would think, wouldn't you, that by now the disciples have learned. They've grown Their faith has been increased. And when Jesus says, hey, Philip, hey, guys, where are we going to find enough food for all these people? They'd say, Jesus, no problem. You've got this. Is that what happens? No. That's not what happens. They just personally experienced what God could do through them when Jesus gave them power and authority. They they preached, they cured diseases, they cast out demons. And they came back with story after story of what they did with his amazing power. And you would think there's no way that they'll struggle with doubts now. Listen to John chapter 6 verse 7. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Jesus, even if we had two hundred days worth of wages, a penny, a penny's worth, a day's wage at that time, even if we had two hundred days of wages, that still wouldn't be enough for everyone to have even a little. What was Philip saying to Jesus? It's impossible. Jesus, we can't. It's not possible that we can do it. Jesus, in Luke nine thirteen of our text, the Bible tells us, But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. In other words, Jesus looked at the disciples, and he said, You give these people something to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. What were they saying? It's impossible. Jesus, we can't. There's no way we can feed these people. We can't do it. And we would say, wouldn't we, we can't understand that. I mean, Jesus gave them power. They did all these things. They came back and had a massive testimony service. I don't know if they included a bonfire or not, but they had a massive testimony service and told Jesus about all they had done certainly they're not going to struggle now and they're going to say well Jesus we can do this Jesus you can do it you've got it this is no problem to you but they don't and we would say we can't understand that until we remember and recognize how often we do the same exact thing is there anyone here who would say no pastor you're not talking to me I never do that didn't think so Does that kind of living and thinking sound familiar to you? Here's something that we need to remember. Something we need to learn if we've not learned it before. Our resources in our hands will never be more than or enough to do what God desires. Did you hear what I said? Our resources in our hands will never be enough, or more than what we need to do what God wants us to do. You say, "What do you mean by that?" Notice how this comes out in the text. Jesus looks at the disciples, Luke nine thirteen. Look at it again, and says. Give ye them to eat. Disciples, you give 5,000 men, not counting women and children there, something to eat. And what did they do? They turned to themselves and they begin to count up what they have. And what they have is what? Five loaves and two fishes. And by the way, that wasn't even theirs. Where did that come from? John 6 we find out a young lad who was the young lad why was he there we don't know the answers to these questions but Andrew found a young boy who said here are my five loaves and here are my two fishes you can have them Jesus you can have them he apparently had more faith than the disciples did and even in John chapter 6 when you go and look at that account the Bible tells us when Andrew comes We read it earlier. Andrew brings this young boy and says, this young boy has five loaves and two fishes. And then he says this, but what are they among so many? What are five loaves and two fishes going to do among so many people? But Jesus said, give you them to eat. And they turned and they looked at their own resources and said, we have five loaves and two fishes. Eh, Not much we can do with that among this crowd now the question I have to ask is did Jesus really expect them to start feeding the crowd I don't know the answer to the question but I I would think not I I don't think that Jesus expected them to start feeding the crowd I suspect that what Jesus was driving at what he desired when he looked at Philip and said where are we going to get enough bread to feed these people he said it to prove Philip Jesus already knowing what he would do I suspect he was driving at looking for Jesus you've got this we can't do it but we know that you can but that's not what they did And then I think about my life. And I think about your life. Does Jesus intend or expect you and I to live life, serve him, and serve others with our own resources and our own hands? I don't think so. Consider this. In the hands of that young boy, or in the hands of Andrew, who brought the young boy to Jesus, or in the hands of all the disciples, what did five loaves and two fishes amount to? I'll tell you what it amounted to five loaves and two fishes. When they turned and they counted up their resources they had 5 loaves and 2 fishes. They could have done a recount and they would have still had 5 loaves and 2 fishes. They could have they could have started ripping it up into smaller sections. They would have had more sections, but they would have still had 5 loaves and 2 fishes. If you break if you have a 1000 piece puzzle, you still have how many puzzles? One puzzle. I mean, it doesn't matter how much they break this up. They still have five loaves and two fishes. And no matter which one of them, it passed to, or how many times they counted it, in the end, they were still going to have five loaves and two fishes. No more, no less, unless someone sneaks a bite. Right? Their resources in their hands was never going to amount to more than five loaves and two fishes. Before I go any further, I think of Jesus standing outside the temple with his disciples, and and they're watching as people are entering the temple, and Jesus is seeing some of the wealthy go by, and they're casting in these massive gifts, and then a he puts in two little mites and Jesus gets his disciples attention he's excited about this and he says hey did you just see what I saw what Jesus I mean like you and I so often they're just oblivious to what's going on and Jesus says did you see that widow woman right there what she put into the treasury and disciples are like no big deal Jesus Jesus And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. She put more in than they all. They gave out of their abundance, but she put in all she had. Now you understand there's two sides to that, right? Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? She put in all she had. Jesus was commending her because she gave in a way sacrificially that the others didn't. It's not that their gifts didn't mean anything but they weren't giving everything they had but there's another side to that two mites in the hand of a widow woman equals what two mites but do you believe in God's hands two mites are multiplied to so much more Do you believe that? I mean, the disciples turn and they're looking at their hands and they're counting their resources and they have five loaves and two fishes, but what are these among so many? You know why they say that? Because they're not even considering Jesus. They're not even thinking about Jesus. They're not even considering and thinking about what he can do. They are looking at their resources in their hands and in their hands, five loaves and two fish equals five loaves and two fish, no more, no less, and it will never be any more or less than that in their hands. But guess what? As soon as you give five loaves and two fishes to Jesus, something miraculous happens. The impossible becomes possible. Five loaves and two fish are no longer just five loaves and two fish. Now, 5,000 hungry men not counting women children and God help us teenagers now five loaves and two fishes in his hands is enough to feed every person not just a little bite Jesus didn't break five loaves and two fishes up into so many crumbs That each person put a crumb on their tongue. No, they all ate until what point? They were full. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, he's a God who does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, meaning he can do more, way more than we need. They started going around and gathering up the leftovers, and there were 12 baskets full. If we're not talking a little basket, the the word used here identifies a basket that full of things would have to be carried between two people. He made the impossible possible. What did he expect of them in this? What did Jesus expect of the disciples when he asked, where are we going to get enough for these people to eat? You give them to eat. I don't think Jesus expected any more of them than they were capable of. And they were incapable in and of themselves of making it happen. I believe that Jesus only expected of them that belief. We can't do it, but Jesus, you can. What does Jesus then expect of you? If I can put it this way, it would simply be this. Bring him your loaves and fishes. Say, I don't have much. Okay. Not much in your hands equals not much. But not much in his hands we're talking about him making the impossible possible. In your hands, I'll tell you right now, in your hands, what you have isn't enough. In your hands, what you have can't make a difference. In your hands, what you have isn't sufficient. In your hands, what you have. Can I say it this way? It's measurable. What do you mean by, they had five loaves and two fishes. It could be counted. It could be measured. But think about what happened when it went to his hands. What wasn't enough is more than enough. What wasn't able to make a difference made a difference. What wasn't sufficient was more than sufficient. And what could be measured in his hands, it couldn't even be measured. What what does God want you and I to take from an account like this. I think it's simply this. We have a God who makes the impossible possible. And maybe, especially as it comes to our lives, our ministry, our service to God and to others. Maybe we need to take impossible out of our vocabulary. Because with God, nothing shall be impossible. And while you and I are busy counting our loaves and counting our fish and trying to figure out, what can I do with this and how can this really make a difference? Jesus all the while is standing and just saying, stop counting. Stop looking at your resources and what they amount to in your hands. Just bring them to me and watch in wonder at what I'll do. With what in your hands isn't enough. In your hands, it's not sufficient. In your hands, it can't make a difference. In your hands, you can count it up. You put it in my hands and it's going to be more than enough, more than sufficient. It'll make all the difference you won't even be able to count all the blessings. I don't know what your loaves and fishes are today. And what I mean by that is, I don't know what you're looking at in your life going, it's impossible. I don't know what you're looking at in, in connection to your relationship with God and saying it's impossible. I don't know what you're looking at in connection to your service to God and service to others and saying it's impossible. I don't know what you're looking at in your life and your family and saying it's impossible. I don't know what you're looking at in your in your life as a part of, of this church and saying oh, it's impossible. I don't know what it is you're looking at and saying it's impossible. But I am here today to give you this message from God. Stop looking at it and saying it's impossible. Look at God, give it to him, and watch him make the impossible possible. Because you'll never do that as long as it's in your hands. As long as you keep it in your hands, and as long as you think it's impossible, nothing will happen. But you give it to God and look at him and watch as he turns what's impossible